What does it mean to forgive? Why do we talk of finding forgiveness? And who really gains from forgiveness? Welcome to episode 174 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Jeffrey, Grace, and Val. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Jeffrey, Grace, and Val, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experience. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Bonnie. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you. Glad to be here. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic forgiveness. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. And uh, Bonnie, you chose a reading. This is uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 14. Okay, this is uh, what we close my Al-Anon meetings with, and it reads, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the following verse reads, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So the first thing that I did when I was thinking about this topic is I went to the dictionary. And I found this simple definition in in Merriam-Webster of the word forgive says, to stop feeling anger toward someone who has done something wrong or to stop blaming someone. And then they also had another definition that I think uh, really speaks to me, uh, speaks to what, what I've learned in, in recovery about forgiveness, and it is to give up resentment of. Uh, I might ask you, Bonnie, what, is, what does forgiveness mean to you? Um, maybe what did it mean to you before you came to the program uh, and then we'll get to what does it mean to you now? Well, two different things. Those are two very different things for me because before I came to the program, uh, forgiveness meant a lot of resentment for me and holding on to that. Uh, if I uh, told myself I forgave someone, I would still stew about those things. Different things would trigger those hurt feelings. Uh, so I'd have to say, have I really forgiven? But um I constantly felt like I needed to forgive uh, different people for different things. And there's a a list of of those that I've uh, dealt very intently with for forgiving some of the wrongs that have been done. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I know for myself that I, I sort of, I don't, well, for what first, I don't think I really thought about it. Like I didn't tell myself what I thought it meant, but, but looking back, I can see that, I felt that if I forgave somebody of something, then that meant it was okay that right. they did this thing. 
Um, it meant that I had to continue to be in relationship with them. That, you know, they had to continue to be in my life, even if they had done something that really hurt me. And maybe they had to apologize to me before I could forgive them. And right. and if I forgave someone, then I had to, and I think I sort of said this in a different way, I had to forget. You know, this the phrase forgive and forget. Uh-huh. Uh, that once I'd forgiven uh, somebody's transgression, then I'd sort of forget that it had happened. Uh, you know, reset back to zero. We're we're all good now. And um, continuing down that line of thought, it kind of gives the other person you know, permission to do it again, in a sense. Right. I think for me, I also related the uh, forgiving before program with a sense of condoning what they were doing. There's the word I was looking for, condoning. <laughs> yeah. And I, I in in my gut, I didn't want to condone what they were doing, but I felt like I needed to get over it, get past it. So then I had that sense of condoning something I disagreed with. Yeah, yeah. And that, for me, um, sounds like for you too, made, made it hard to, sometimes hard to forgive somebody for something. Um, particularly right. if I felt like they they weren't feeling any contrition. Right. Yes. And I dealt with that for a long time with uh, primarily my, my relationship with my parents was one that it took me the program to realize and accept that they had did the very best they could and that uh, I held against them for so many things I felt they did wrong. And the program taught me to look at the things they did right and to let them off the hook for they did the best they could. And it took me a long time to to really believe that and forgive them for what I felt they hadn't done. Oh yeah. And that's always a tricky one too. Not something that a person did, but something a person didn't do. Always tricky to, to uh, get over sometimes. Right. Why, why didn't you do this thing for me? So then we come into, we come into the rooms of Al-Anon and we start to hear at least, I know for me, I started to hear a different message about forgiving. And for me, I think it actually starts with that very simple slogan, let go and let God. Hmm. Um, and at first, as I've, I've said before, that meant letting go of control. But it also means letting go of resentments, letting go of anger, letting go of these things that are standing in my way of recovery. They're standing in, in the way of me being able to find some, some serenity and happiness and all that, that good stuff that we want. Prior to program, I was so miserable, you know, the, the misery of holding on to all that stuff and my self-righteousness was uh, debilitating. And yet I couldn't really put my finger on it because I was the one that I thought was doing all the right things. And it was those others that were falling short in my self-righteous opinion, you know, but in that I was miserable, just miserable from the inside out. And it really came down to the lack of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So I started to hear this message that, which I mean, you know, I haven't thought of this phrase in a while, but the, the saying that, Holding on to resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that 
forgiveness basically lets us, you know, take take that poison out of our system, take that the poison of that resentment out, let go of it, um, let it go, uh, and and that's a very different kind of forgiveness, I think. It is, um, and and it really turns it around and lets me focus on the effect it has on me rather than this idea that when I forgive, it's about the other person and it's about condoning uh, what they did rather than it's really about or what, what it, what it is for me in the program is, um, is helping me, right? It's removing that, that uh, acid of anger from, from my, my being. And, uh, and this is, this was a totally new understanding of forgiveness. Not to say that even getting a glimmer of that understanding made it easy. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, at all. And, um, you know, you wrote to me and, and, uh, with some words about, uh, finding, finding forgiveness and, if I can read this, this words here, you said, one of the gifts of the program for me has been learning how to forgive. It is so critical to our recovery. Resentment and bitterness will eat away at our souls like a cancer, if not dealt with. And, you know, that really, that really grabbed me, those words that you wrote, uh, because it is, it's so true. Well, I've, I've looked at the, tried to apply the 12 steps in uh, all my affairs and uh, I still make lots of mistakes and we never graduate and we're just all coming along and and trying to bring others along. But uh, when I finally could make peace with step three of made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, as we understood him, um, I had been a person of faith and yet this element of forgiveness Uh, had escaped my walk with God. And I don't know how that happened after all these many, many years of being a person of faith. And yet it's the program that taught me uh, to have an intimate relationship with the God of my understanding. And in that process, I had to come to terms with my lack of forgiveness and uh, what that was doing to me and the relationships around me. So did you feel you were really getting a, a strong message from your higher power that this was something you needed to do. Absolutely. It was like a heaven sent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you also said to me, that was one of the reasons that you chose uh, that particular reading. Correct. Um, and, uh, you know, whichever words that, that we use in that particular prayer, whether it's debts and debtors or trespasses and those who trespass against us, it still is about forgiving Forgiving so that we may be forgiven and, and that this is, and then you went into the, the following verse and that really becomes a requirement, right? Um, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, um, then God will forgive, also give, forgive you, um, whichever words. There's so many different translations. (laughs) Like I went online and I, I found this website that's got like, I don't know, like it seems like a hundred different translations and you can just pull down this menu and choose all these different ones. And all the words are just a little bit different, a little bit. Um, but, uh, but the, the, the feeling there is the same that, um, this is something that, that is required of us, uh, to do. Uh, 
Well, it reminded me of my desperate need to be forgiven my own self, that I have trespasses or wrongdoings or hurt people intentionally or unintentionally, uh, especially before the program, my hurt oftentimes would either I would cry or I would be very angry and I didn't like to cry. So anger would be the emotion that I would have at the offense or the offender. And that is just a, a recipe for a disaster in relationships. And so I sinned along the way or trespassed or wronged my loved ones along the way in my own attempt to deal with their wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a vicious cycle that we get on. And I really don't think we can get off of it without spiritual help. That is so true. And the, the anger that I had that I was stuffing down uh, because I did not have a way to express it. I didn't have a way to relieve it. It uh, just came out in bursts of rage at sometimes the smallest provocation. And, and that's not, it was not the person I wanted to be. And it didn't made me, you know, not a person that others necessarily wanted to be around at times, including my family. <laughs> right. And then we have to, to deal with the whole amends thing after we get a little farther in the program that we have to take ownership for how we acted for all of those non-program years and still yet in the program at times. Indeed, indeed. And you also said finding forgiveness for yourself. And I think that is, that has also um, been a really important part of the program for me is I can't, I can't live with some of the things that I did unless I can forgive myself for them. Uh, and make amends to myself for the things that I did in the past. And for me, the biggest part of that making amends for, for those things is in changing myself, uh, you know, practicing those further steps of uh, six and seven, asking for my shortcomings to be removed and, and making amends to the other people and making amends to myself by continuing to work this program is, is the biggest part for me. You had said something in a recent a, a recent uh, episode that I listened to, and I don't remember which one it was, but you were talking about your children and the amends of, uh, of at times, I suppose, the, the raging or the anger that you showed them, and, and your yeah. amends to them was just changing that behavior. And uh, what a huge part that is, because they notice. They, I mean, my family notices I'm not who I used to be three years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of it they don't like because they don't like my new boundary lines, but some <laughs> of it they have to appreciate. Yeah. So a change of behavior is a part of our amends, which just goes hand in hand with forgiveness. Yeah. And I actually have had people comment to me about how, I don't know what the word serene or whatever that I am. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, you didn't know me 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and somebody say, wow, I really can't imagine you having a burst of rage. I said, well, that's good. That means I've changed. And, you know, I appreciate right. that. One of the things that, that I've been doing this year and in the podcast and maybe not as often as, as I thought I might when I started doing it at the beginning of the year, but is there are these sentences in the book From Survival to Recovery that are often referred to as the gifts of Al-Anon. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some people refer to them as the promises of Al-Anon also, and in uh, sort of analogy to the promises that are in uh, the AA Big Book in the Step 9 chapter. And this one says, as we gain the ability to forgive our families, the world, and ourselves, our choices will expand. I thought it might be interesting to reflect on that a little bit. And what is how do how do my choices expand as I gain the ability to forgive? I wonder if you had any thoughts on that idea. Well, I think as I have forgiven and truly uh, came to terms with some offenses that uh, were hard to forgive, and you know, some say about the forget forget the offense, and my prayer has been, and I've watched it. Uh, manifest itself in my life is that God has taken the sting out of the memory. And um, although I will still recall things and some things will trigger a thought that brings back an old wound, uh, it don't hurt like it used to. And that wallowing in the obsession of rehashing it is so unproductive or it just downright tears us up. But as I learn to forgive, I can love my family unconditionally, the best of, and again, I think unconditional love only comes from God. And so when we are able to exercise that, it has to come through something greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we're able to do that for those that that we love that truly are in a bad place that continually hurt us. Yeah, I think about the anger and resentment that I had at my loved one when she was drinking and I don't really know how it how it happened and I think to me that that's one of the things that indicates to me the hand of a power greater than myself in my life that I came to a point where I realized that I had forgiven her mm-hmm. for those actions that that she took when she was still when she was drinking alcoholically that I was not holding anger and resentment for those anymore. And that was a gift of the program. And I wish I could, I wish I could give a formula for just do this, 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 this. And the only formula I have is go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. (laughs) And that's what worked for me. Uh, It's not a, it's well, it's simple, I guess, not necessarily easy, but simple. And then when I'm not holding that anger and resentment, I realize how those constrained what I would choose to do. What if I felt, for example, when I felt that I had to act in a certain way and maybe that would, you know, make it so she wouldn't drink so much or something, uh, that really reduced what what I felt I could choose to do. Right. Uh, and when I was able to to let go of that or when I, you know, I have to keep an eye on her, right? Because part of the forgiveness that I found was also letting go, sort of came with it, um, letting go of that sort of need to monitor. Because, and I think it part of that is that understanding that what she was doing was not, directed at me. That's also part of where the forgiveness came from. And that if it's not directed at me, 
even if it hurts, it doesn't hurt as much. Right. And I don't have to protect myself as much. Um, and I don't have to, if, if there are places where my thoughts can't go because it hurts too much. And you talked about taking the sting out, you know, not wanting to visit those places, but touching them like a sore tooth. Mm-hmm. That really also reduces my choices. And so by finding that forgiveness, by, you know, having the sting taken out, by um, you know, taking care of the, the, the sore tooth, it, uh, okay, I'm really mixing my metaphors here now, but um, <laughs> it opens me up to to be able to to do things that I didn't think I could do before. And I think that's one of the ways in which I understand this. The other thing comes, of course, from forgiving myself. Um, if I feel like I have behaved badly in the past and therefore I'm a bad person, um, that image of myself also limits what I'm, what I feel I'm able to do. Uh, I think going hand with uh, your anger and resentment, I find that whenever I was able to let God work a new work in me through those two negatives, that they were replaced with compassion or at least that was the direction I would head. It made a world of difference. I mean, there's a couple instances where uh, I was even aha moment at my own self that, wow, I reacted totally opposite of what I would have. And how I really did act was with a heart of compassion, recognizing that my loved one was in so much pain and so remorseful and regretful for the place he had found himself that uh, so many times before I would just beat him up. How awful that was of me. And those are the things I had to forgive my own Mm -hmm. self of and ask for forgiveness from my loved one. And I am grateful that situations repeated themselves. But as I worked through the program, my response was different. And I thought, wow, there really is growth here. This really does work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it it really does work. So I think we've touched some on, on how we are helped by forgiving. I come to this question of, are there things that are unforgivable? And with my new understanding of forgiveness, that forgiveness is really for me, uh, what can I do there? And uh, and I don't really know where to go with that. I mean, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on this notion of of unforgivable, unforgivable sin or or unforgivable action. I do. <laughs> I have thoughts on everything. Uh, I wrestle with it, and yet I know deep in my heart that I have a belief that there is nothing unforgivable. I had the privilege of experiencing a weekend a couple weekends ago that. Uh, was for loved ones of the incarcerated, uh, which I am a member of. And uh, they talked about some really deep stuff and some things that would be the unthinkable. And yet uh, those dear women spoke of compassion and forgiveness and coming to terms with the offenses of their, of their incarcerated loved one. And it really spoke to me that uh, you can't do that on your own. That is definitely a God thing. And it doesn't mean that the relationship's going to be maintained, uh, but it means that it will not eat you up. Mm. And that's really our ultimate gift of forgiveness is that we're at peace and have a serenity that can't be explained. 
Right, and that answers that answers my second question about forgiving the the so-called unforgivable. Which why would I want to? Well, I want to because otherwise it eats me up. Right. I think that that's the bottom line here is that that it really does, and and I think that sometimes we can forgive the past, but still guard ourselves. You know, this is the forgive and not forget. Mm-hmm. that you really hurt me and I'm not going to hold on to anger and resentment for that, but I'm also not going to let you do it again. Right. And if that means that you're not in my life anymore, then that's what I have to do. For me, again, that is this new understanding of life choices and clarity that the program has given me, that mm-hmm. that sort of thing is a choice that I can make. Um, and luckily, you know, luckily for me, it's not a choice that it's not a choice that I've had to make. But I certainly have seen um, other friends of mine that have had to make that kind of choice. Mm-hmm. I heard it said once uh, at a woman's conference dealing with difficult people in our lives that have caused us hurt and harm, and some that we can't necessarily or find it more difficult to get away from uh, family members, particularly, but. Some people you just have to learn to deal with, and they use the analogy of feeding them with a long-handled spoon. I mean, you just get so close, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you don't get close enough to get hurt, but you try to maintain uh, some open door there. And some, I suppose, you can't have an open door. I've been blessed that the most hurtful relationships, I can s- truly say the doors are still open there. There may be choices of uh, how deep the relationships are, but because of the power of forgiveness, uh, I'm, I'm okay with those individuals, which is a gift. It, it, it's, it truly is. And, oh, man, you just said something. I've got to go back. Mm, thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh, yeah, the way in which the different aspects of the program work together here. And I was thinking about the combination of Forgiveness and compassion, and I was glad you brought that up because that is a route for me to forgiveness, to having compassion for where the other person is, understanding in a in a deep sense, understanding in my heart, not just in my head, that they're human and that they were doing the best they could at the time. And I think you made you made that statement earlier having that compassion and understanding of, of where they were at the time of whatever happened can help with forgiveness. And then we get through to the, you know, the long handled spoon is about boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that again, as I've said many times in this podcast is something I did not understand at all when I came to, when I came to recovery, I just had no concept of what a boundary was except like i've got a yard and it's got a fence around it that's a boundary okay but personal boundaries no no idea and i think without having the ability to set boundaries without having the ability to say i am only going to interact with this person in these ways because if I can set that boundary, then they're not going to hurt me in the same way again. Without being able to do that, it is really hard to come to forgiveness because then it's forgive and forget and you're going to do it to me again. 
but when I can set the boundary and when I can hold the boundary, and all of that takes practice, um, then getting to forgiveness while still protecting myself is is possible, um, and or at least easier. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so it's not, you know, we can't, I can't, I can't take just one principle, one tool of this program and, and use it in isolation. I have to use them all together and they all build on each other and support each other and, and, and make it possible sometimes. So I always like to explore how we've used these principles, how in, in, you know, personal stories. Well, the big one is is the one that I already shared about finding forgiveness about the things that my wife did while she was drinking, and just having that having that come to me as a gift because of the program. I think another one um, a few years ago, uh, a person who I considered to be a good friend decided for personal reasons that they were no longer able to be my friend. And this happened very suddenly. And I felt hurt by it. You know, I felt rejected, obviously. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on. And I carried that um, for a while. And this is, you know, what am I, 10 years in the program at that point or something. And I, you know, so not perfect, making progress, but sometimes, sometimes this happens. And, uh, and it did take, what it took for me there was actually doing doing the hard work of the program, doing the inventory, and seeing what my part was. Because clearly there was a part that was mine um, that caused this person to make that decision. Finding that, coming to understand that, and that took that took a while. Because um, I I think for a while I wasn't really willing to look at it. It was all it was all their fault. It was none of it was mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a case where it was really not about necessarily finding compassion for the other person, uh, not about understanding whatever their motive might have been, what, what was moving them to that decision, but coming to see that there were faults on both sides yeah. um, and that I played my part in what happened. And, uh, and that, that enabled me to come to a place where, as you say, when you, when I touch it, it doesn't have the sting that it had anymore. But I did, I did also set some boundaries. I set some boundaries around the things that were my part. Basically, I had been, I had been picking up my drug of choice, which is other people, and I had been putting too much on this one person, and they decided they didn't want. <laughs> to carry that weight and 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 when i came to understand that then the forgiveness came this is mm. this is okay you know you were not you were not trying to hurt me you were trying to protect yourself and i get it it still hurts but yeah. it's it i don't have i don't have anger and resentment anymore on that but it took a while it took a while you would a uh, story you'd like to share about forgiveness one that's been very recent in my life. We have three grown sons. All of them have had addiction issues, alcoholism, and uh, our middle son has been uh, in and out of prison. And uh, we have been careful to 
uh, try to not let that come into our lives and into our home uh, because he's went, came in and out and things have not changed. Well, this last time, my husband and I gave it much thought and prayer, and we agreed that we would let him, we would be his home plan. And uh, we have two of his children that live here, and uh, he was scheduled to get out on the 6th of September. And for weeks prior to that, I had wrote him, and we had talked about the boundaries that would be here and the expectations, and that I could not waver with those. He got home on the 6th, and I started feeling uneasy about some things shortly thereafter. And I... uh, I just felt something in my heart said, I felt like I needed to know the truth. And I just prayed, God, show me the truth here. What's going on? And I just felt like I heard God say in a non-audible voice, buy a drug test. You want to know what's going on? Buy a drug test. So I did. And uh, he was reluctant to take it, but he did. And he failed, uh, which was just 10 days after he had moved in. Hmm. Our, my boundary was you cannot live here and not pass a drug test. Whenever you said it was to protect your friend who was protecting himself, not to hurt you, uh, that resonated with me because I wasn't, I didn't insist that he move out to hurt him because I know it's, it's not good for him to move out, uh, for him, but I did it to protect me. I did it to protect these two junior high students I have living here. I had to do that. And that was the boundary that I, I could have only done through the program. And matter of fact, when I shared that with my home group, one of them asked me, well, uh, you know, why did he have to have a drug test so soon? They thought that the state had done it. And I said, the state didn't do it. Mom did it. (laughs) So, uh, but I had to, I just had to be true to my own self that I will not live with active addiction in that situation. And so I, I knew it was the program. It's painful. It's terribly painful to put mm-hmm. your, your, I mean, even if he is 30 something, uh, it's, you're still putting your child out to, to God knows what, but it's what I needed to do. Yeah. And, and I hear, I hear in that story that in a very real sense, you had to forgive yourself for what the choice that you had to make. That- yes, it, I did. I mean, I had to be okay with it because I even had someone say to me, I was hoping you'd give him one more chance. And I thought, that's not fair to say that to me. And uh, because he's had many, many chances yeah. and it was so incredibly hard to hold my ground. Yeah. Well, you, you did give him, you did give him a chance. You, you welcomed him into your home. Right. And, and with very, very articulated set out, this is what is required. <clears throat> and being drug free is a pretty, uh, pretty simple request, you know, unless you're a drug addict. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a simple, like you said, simple, not necessarily easy. Right. Okay. So I, I have, I was thinking about this and I have a, a sort of a, it almost seems trivial story about uh, forgiving, but not forgetting. So our dog is getting on in life and occasionally is, apparently not able to make it to the backyard before having to do his business. I mean, I've seen him like running for the door and just stopping <laughs> short and boom, right there on the carpet, yeah. like get outside. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, you know? And so it's, I can't stay angry at him. He 
for years he was very good at it. And then as he's gotten older, you know, it's just, uh, and this sort of like scooting half squatted over out the door thing. I mean, it's clearly that this is something that, that is, is not entirely his choice, if you will. Okay. Right. Um, so I can't stay angry at him for it. I can, I can grouse while I'm cleaning it up and I do, but also I know that if I'm, mad at him 10 minutes after he does something he doesn't connect that those two things together no okay so it's not good for me and it's not good for him and it's not good for our our connection you know it's like because daddy's just being mad at him for some unknown reason like what the heck you know why are you mad at me and they they are the only creatures that have unconditional love isn't it marvelous oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah they they forgive they definitely do um but I will set boundaries. I don't forget that he did it. I know that this is going to happen. And, and, and so before, you know, before we go to bed, I make sure he goes out and, and he, he walks out to the edge of the deck and turns around and looks back and says, do I really have to? And I say, yeah, you really have to. Um, <laughs> Cause I know what's going to happen if you don't. Um, and so I have set boundaries or taken actions to try to, make it less likely that this this event is going to happen. He is very well crate trained and so we used to leave him out when we when we went away for the day and we don't do that anymore. Um and it's sort of like the same thing, you know, of I mean at a very different emotional level of your son came home, you set rules, he wasn't able to follow the rules and you say, well, you know, um you can't be here. Uh I can't safely, if you will, leave the dog out all day um, while I'm not home. So he's in his crate. And, you know, he's actually fine with that. And probably, I'm probably more upset about having to put him in the crate than he is. So he'll just go in there and he goes to sleep. You know, you get home, he's like, oh, hey, you're home. Mom, let me out, let me out, let me out, you know. Um, but the funny thing is, like, he doesn't do that until I walk into the room. Okay. <laughs> so it's not like, Oh, it's so horrible in here. I have to get out. I've been waiting for hours for you to come home and let me out. It's like, oh, you're home now. I want to get out because I want to be with you. Right. It's it's more that he wants to be with you than yeah. he is even wants to yeah. get out. So Exactly. Um, but I have changed my behavior uh, so that he doesn't keep doing the same thing. And then I just would, keep, you know, if I just got mad at him and didn't change anything, um, that's on me. Um, but I can forgive, but not forget. And and like I said, it's a really trivial example, but it it works for me. I don't know. <laughs> well, it does, and I hear what you're saying when it being on you because I thought the very same thing. I could turn my head. Uh, I didn't have proof. I was just uneasy about you know some things that I recognized familiar. But if I let him stay here and he was just going to go his normal way of uh, uh, progressing in his addiction and in his disease, then that was on me. If I was going to let him stay here and progress in his disease, uh, then I had to be responsible for how that affects the kids and how that affects me and how I obsess over it. But if I hit it straight on and said, this was the line we agreed to prior to you coming home, you made the decision to cross it and I have to keep my, my boundary. So it was the healthy thing for me to do. And it is something I would not have done four or five years ago because I lived in all of that chaos of, of 
believing they were not going to do it again and the begging and the pleading and all that nonsense. Yeah. What would you say, maybe what do you say to somebody who's, who's new in the program and is feeling very hurt by someone they love and, and really struggling to find anything like forgiveness? I think I would have to tell them that it's a process of uh, realizing that we need to forgive others and that it really is for our own good. And uh, by going to meetings and reading the literature and talking to your sponsor or talking to other people in the program, you can find things start connecting and making sense. You hear stories of how someone else dealt with a similar situation. I would tell that newcomer that to keep coming back and to give it time, but that obsessing over the offenses will just keep you in a very miserable place and you don't have to stay there. Yeah. I'm glad you reminded me that listening to other people's experience is one of the things that really helped me along. I can understand something, but when I hear how somebody else was in a similar place, I can understand it in my head, but hearing for me, hearing how another person was in the same place and moved through it, found forgiveness, uh, really helps me to understand it in my heart. Um, and for me, those are often very different things, the head learning and the heart learning. Right. It, it, it take a long time to connect sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I've had it, it a little bit off topic, but I actually have had it the other way because... The day that I came into Al-Anon, I recognize now, looking back, was the day that I first understood my powerlessness in my heart, even though I wasn't ready to accept it in my head. <laughs> so it's I've I've had it happen both ways. It just was what this this feeling of relief came over me when when I was told those three C's that I didn't cause it, I couldn't control it, and I couldn't cure it. And I'm like, wow, this light, this whole you know lightness of being in in that moment. I understand that now is taking taking step one in my heart. It took me a lot longer to take it in my head. So. There is someone that's close to me that is uh, not in program and. Uh, has watched me grow in the program and will ask for my opinion advice. And when I give it in terms of Al-Anon that uh, this person really needs to be taking care of themselves, they still just are not ready to relinquish that in that illusion of control. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think you, you have no control to begin with. It's, it's, I mean, we, I, I know I lived years thinking yes. I had control. Yes. And, and when I finally realized that was an illusion, it was, it was a real eye opener. Yeah. You know, I, I say that my higher power gives me plenty of opportunities to, uh, to see my character defects until I'm really ready to have them removed. And the illusion of control was definitely one of those. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the need for forgiveness also, I think, in a very similar way. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And the first musical selection, and you can listen to all of these on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 174, of a song Hurt by Christina Aguilera. 
And I've used this song before, actually, on this topic, but I just, I, I love it so much because it just, it grabs my heart and, like, twists it. And um, this is a song, this is a song that she wrote to her father after he died. Uh, because, uh, and I haven't gone back and, and found that apparently there was an earlier song where she was just, like, up in his face accusing him of all the things that he had done to her. And then um, after he died, she wrote this one. Here's some of the lyrics. I would hold you in my arms. I would take the pain away. Thank you for all you've done. Forgive all your mistakes. There's nothing I wouldn't do to hear your voice again. Sometimes I want to call you, but I know you won't be there. Oh, I'm sorry for blaming you for everything I just couldn't do. And I've hurt myself by hurting you. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And uh, I was sort of thinking back over the week and at a meeting yesterday where our topic was step 10, which has continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it and reflected on some recent experiences at work that both really connect for me uh, to that step. Uh, one of the things is that in in our teams, we work in 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 small teams of six to ten people, all working towards the the common goal of the company. And each of the teams, on a periodic basis, for some teams it's once a week, for some teams it's maybe once every two weeks. We take a pause and we look back over the previous period and say, ask these questions: What went well? What could have gone better? What can we learn? And what do we want to do differently? And we call that process retrospection, but it's inventory. Uh, we just don't call it that. Uh, and it, and it, the purpose of doing that is to continue to work better as a team. Just as we do in our four-step inventories in the program, we're not pointing fingers. We're not blaming. We're trying to take a clear look at how we're doing and what's working and what's not working and what we want to change. I immediately connected that to step 10 because it's continued to take inventory and, and, and when things are going well, we figure out how we're going to make them go better. Okay. When we were wrong, probably admitted it. And we actually do that too. Um, we're, we're really trying to, and I think doing a pretty good job of instituting a blameless culture of improvement. So we have a website that's used by millions of people around the world, literally millions of people, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Occasionally something happens and maybe the website becomes unavailable or part of it doesn't work right. And when that happens, then we have to stop and say, what? We have, well, we have fixed it. And then we say, okay, what, what happened? How did this, what, what sequence of events and what we're looking for there is, as my boss puts it, systemic failures. Because yeah, probably a person did something that caused this, but the person did something because of something bigger than them. Some assumptions that somebody made, some process that wasn't maybe correctly uh, specified or or wasn't as specified at all. Uh, and so we're trying to look at not 
hey, this person screwed up, but what is it in the way we as an organization work that we want to change so that this sort of thing is less likely to happen in the future? Again, you know, a very a very program-oriented way of looking at work. And, of course, nobody there is saying, oh, this is 12-step, because, you know, they wouldn't, right? Uh, and the other thing that was v- immediately relevant to the previous week, uh, I had traveled with a couple of colleagues uh, to meet with some people who have recently joined our organization, and they're facing a large task, which is very similar to something that we we did over the last several years. And so we were going to meet with them to say, you know, here's the benefit of our experience uh, and to work out with them what their what their steps are going to be, how much work is going to be necessary and, and how they might want to carry it out. And so there was about a dozen people from this other organization and three of us. And I don't know if you've heard the expression herding cats. <laughs> Well, a friend of mine some years ago came up with one that I thought fit this situation perfectly. He said it's like trying to transport frogs in a wheelbarrow. Because we would all be, I thought, going in the same direction. You know, that we're pushing that wheelbarrow. And then one of these frogs would jump out in some random direction. Like, oh, but this other thing over here. Oh, but this other thing over here. No, well, that's not what we're trying to do right now. I get frustrated. I, that's one of my character defects. I get frustrated when I get frustrated. I get angry when I get angry. Then, you know, sometimes I lash out. I recognized several times during the two days we were meeting that this was happening. And so I used one of the tools that I've learned here, which is I removed myself. I knew that I needed to step away for a minute. And and maybe I could step away mentally or maybe I had to step away physically, you know, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go get a cup of coffee, something. Just go out of the room so that I can unwind a little bit. Um, and again, this is this is like, this is the goal for me of step 10 is to have the inventory happen before the action so that then I don't have to make amends for the action ever because I didn't do it. Like, this is, this is beautiful when this happens. Uh, and so... There's just those two things that that I that came to to my mind when I was thinking about step ten, um, and also travel. Travel is always frustrating, and the ability to have some measure of acceptance of understanding that this this is just what it is, uh, and and travel is always going to be frustrating. And I'm always going to be standing in lines, and and the airplane seats are always going to be skinny, and 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 I'm not never going to have enough leg room. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I can, I can live with that for, you know, in this case, it was a short flight. It was like an hour and a half. So no big deal. Having these tools just can make life just day to day life choices, decisions and actions so much easier for me. So that's my week. How's yours? I had a good week. Busy. Uh, my home group is, uh, here near my home and, uh, when I first got into Al-Anon uh, three years ago, there was no meetings nearby, and I had to drive a reasonable distance to get to, I mean, we had meetings every night of the week, but they weren't close. Yeah. And um, I worked with the uh, district representative and was able to establish a meeting here close to the house, and uh, that has really taken off. The meeting will be two years old 
in December, we've probably had 60 to 70 individuals pass through. And uh, I'd say we probably have 15 or 20 <clears throat> that we would call regulars that hit and miss, uh, but are mostly there. So it's been a really cool to be instrumental in that. I'm glad that uh, God gave me the wherewithal to have the initiative to, uh, if you bring it to them, they'll come. Mm-hmm. And they really, they really have. We have been working in a book study on reaching for personal freedom uh, two weeks out of the month. And that's a really, really good study, uh, some in-depth uh, step study. It's been really good for all of us, I think. Some of our members are dual members, as I guess they're referred to. And so they bring a different dynamic to it that uh, has been helpful, very helpful for me, uh, having uh, my husband be an alcoholic to see some of their perspective from, although they're still dealing with friends and families of alcoholics, uh, they themselves are in recovery for their own selves. And that's been very instrumental for, for my recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm a busy, busy single mother right now or single grandmother slash mother. And uh, so I have to really work my program on a daily basis to get kids to volleyball and get to work and all those things that we do. I've not been ever been a single parent before. And uh, unfortunately, with my husband suffering the consequences of his family disease of alcoholism, uh, that has put me in a situation that I'm Uh, home alone for this season of our marriage. So I have to use the program just to get from day one to day two to day three. It's, it's just imperative for me. Yeah. And, and, and at this point in your life where you thought, Hey, the kids are all grown and now here we are again. Yeah. Yes. That's been, uh, that's been one of the, I wish I would have had the program 10 years ago when that became the, the onset of that adjustment in our lives. (laughs) Mm. Uh, because we were seven years into it before I really learned the meaning of accepting the things you cannot change and changing the things you can and, and knowing the difference. And uh, all things happen for a reason, I believe. And uh, I believe we are right where we're supposed to be at this time. So I pray for the grace to get through the next few years. They're only in junior high, so i got a little ways to go. <laughs> And I'm sure you will get it. I'm sure you yes, will. I will. That's, okay, thank you. So, looking forward, um, I know that I have an upcoming topic of fear and faith, and this one is exemplified by another one of those gifts of Al-Anon, which says, fear will be replaced by faith and gratitude will come naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with feedback or questions. And Bonnie, how can people do that? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, forgiveness, or any of our upcoming topics. 
All the information about uh, The Recovery Show is on our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have notes for each episode, a uh, occasional blog, links to the music that, and other things that we talk about. On that website also is all that information that Bonnie just gave you. So if you only can remember one thing, remember therecoveryshow.com. Uh, there's a link there for listening, uh, for getting in touch with us. Uh, information about being part of the show as Bonnie is is also there. So uh, check us out at therecoveryshow.com. And Bonnie, you picked uh, a song for us. I did. I picked a song titled Forgiveness by Matthew West. Uh, it is uh, a very, very powerful song and speaks of so many things that spoke right to my heart. One of the lines reads, even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. Show me how to love the unlovable. Show me how to reach the unreachable. Help me now to do the impossible. Forgiveness. Uh, it just is a really, really good song about setting setting me free. It just sets yeah. me free to do the right thing by uh, giving up that right to hold a grudge. And I found with my situation uh, with my husband, so many people, well-meaning, I think, they think, you've, you know, haven't you had enough? You've got every right to move on and every right to do this or to do that. And I just, I never had peace to do anything but just do what I was continued to do, get up every day and pray for the strength, you know. Mm-hmm. Some choose to stay and some don't choose to stay. But I chose to forgive and to stay. And that's been the best thing. That's been for me. That's what I needed to do. And we do, as we just said, um, love to hear from you, love to hear your voice in sharing this program of recovery. So, Bonnie, could you read the email from Elizabeth? From Elizabeth, I just wanted to send you a quick note and say thank you. I am relatively new to Al-Anon and currently treading water just to keep from drowning. I live in a city where we have regular meetings and I have gotten myself a sponsor, but with a busy schedule, I can't always make a meeting or do my daily reading and or meditation. This is where your show come has come in and helped save me. I have been listening now for about a week and I am probably a dozen episodes in or so. So far, I can't believe how many things I have found that speak to me. I love how open you all are, and your sharing makes me feel like I am truly not alone. Keep up the great work. You really are doing a great service, Elizabeth. And and thank you, Elizabeth. And this is, I mean, this sort of thing is, is why I do this week after week, because um, it is a service that I can do, and if I can reach out to people who aren't able to make it to the meetings that they they want to try to make it to, or if maybe you haven't even been to a meeting and you're you're still not sure if this program's for you, I and mean, that's why we're here. So thanks thanks for for keeping us going, um, letting me know. Got an email from Jeff. He writes, "Hi Spencer." I was listening to episode 35, step eight, today, and you said something that really helped me out. 
You were talking about the time it took to make amends to your wife. I took from your sharing that sometimes you have to wait as you work through the pain and emotions of it all to get yourself in a good place. I've struggled with my ex-wife. Surely there are amends to be made there. However, I'm raising the kids for going on six years now. The youngest is 11, and she continues to do things that hurt me. It would be really hard for me to make any sort of amends at this time due to continued pain and drama. Your share helped me to put it into perspective that I don't have to make amends until I'm able, but I can keep my door open to it. I can do living amends, which for me would be trying to keep my side of the street clean, and I can try not to hold resentments and be forgiving, so I can try to keep myself from becoming angry. So these are some things I'm going to work on and try not to feel guilty for not being perfect in a difficult situation. Thanks again, Jeff. And and Jeff, I I hope some of the things that we just talked about in this episode, um, they seem to me to connect to to what you're working on there. Uh, you have any any thoughts on Jeff's uh, letter, Bonnie? He sounds like uh, what we talked about right on the mark. So uh, trying to work on his keep his own side of the street clean and uh, keep things into perspective is uh, is doing what he needs to be doing. Keep up the good work. All right. Can you read the email from Grace? Grace said, Dear Spencer, thank you for taking time to share your heart and insight in your recovery show. I am returning to Al-Anon after a long time, and I learned so much, and I'm grateful for your gentle guidance in teaching your hope, strength, and recovery gained through your journey of the 12 steps. I have added your show to my list on my gratitudes for this day. I am in another 12-step program. I live with an alcoholic who is currently white-knuckling it. My sponsor suggested Al-Anon, and I look forward to a meeting this week. I will promote your show to others who seek help in our powerlessness over over the alcoholic and our ability to cure and control what we have not caused. But what brings chaos and resentment when we forget that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity? Wishing your growth acceptance, surrender, and serenity, grace. And and I would say, and grace. Um, Or maybe it's through grace that we get those. Um, And and I'm really, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm making fun of your name, Grace. I'm really not. I'm really, just the coincidence of your name next to those words just hit me. Um, Because that's the only way sometimes that, that I find those things. Through the grace of my higher power. So thanks for writing. Finally, I got a, a email in the last day uh, from a listener who has a question and a topic idea sort of tied up in the question. Hi, all. Thanks for this great show. I'm new in Al-Anon, and my alcoholic mother is new in AA, two weeks sober after 50 years. I'm curious about others' experience with what I am feeling right now. I am tentatively hopeful for her and for our broken family of adult children of an alcoholic but I am holding my breath every day. She checked into treatment two weeks ago, and I held my breath every day for her to check herself out. She was discharged earlier this week, and I am still holding my breath, waiting for relapse, bracing myself. It's a weird feeling having this delicate part of me trying to recover, but bracing for possible relapse and all that comes with that. Interested in program long-timers' experiences, in everyone's experiences. I feel like such a Debbie Downer for thinking this way. Thanks so much. I don't know about you, but I can totally connect with that experience. I've been there. Multiple times. (laughs) 
you know, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say the thing I said before, which is keep coming to meetings, keep reading the literature, uh, get yourself a sponsor or at least somebody you can call uh, a temporary sponsor or somebody who, who, who gives you their phone number and, and, and use them. Uh, because when you call, uh, it helps the person you're calling as much as it helps you because we all need the support of other people in this program of recovery. Um, I, but I do relate to this feeling of holding your breath, waiting for the relapse because I have been there. And so I said earlier in the program, my higher power gives me plenty of opportunities to practice my uh, character defects till I'm tired of them. Um, my, my higher power gave me plenty of opportunities to learn to live with relapse because my loved one, uh, I, at one point I said she was a serial relapser and that's putting a little bit light on it, but it relapse is unfortunately um, a feature of addiction and it doesn't happen to everybody, but um, it happens to a lot of people and you could say it's part of the process. I don't know. Um, but it, what I found was that I was able to step back and to not have it, to not have my loved ones relapse, take me down as far each time. Um, and eventually to the point where while I was never, I was never happy about, the fact of relapse. I mean, it was sad. It was not something I wanted to have happen, but I was able to keep my serenity um, through working, through working this program. And it didn't come right away. It really didn't come right away. So I would say breathe. Okay. You need to breathe when I can, if I'm stressed and I can step back a little bit and take a conscious deep breath and then let it out consciously, sort of a mini meditation, it helps. It helps reduce the, the stress. Um, it helps reduce the anxiety, maybe only for a moment, but it helps. So breathe. I don't know, any, any suggestions, Bonnie? Any, your experience? <laughs> well, when I was listening to you talk, I, I recalled, I think, one of your earliest experiences, or maybe it was your initial interaction with the program was uh, while your wife was in recovery and the three C's kind of hit you in the face. And I know for me, when my loved one has been in recovery multiple times as well, those programs that they design for the families are very helpful. And... Um, they usually will push you in the direction of Al-Anon and seeking your own recovery outside of your loved one, because we both, it's a family illness and we both need uh, recovery. And uh, it was through one of those programs for, for my family that uh, we, I wound up in Al-Anon myself. It was through his long-term treatment that I found the, the Al-Anon program it, it is, I hate to say that it's a part of the process, but the, the statistics would show that most are going to have some uh, event of relapse. For me, I have events of relapse. So uh, I have to, I have to start over and say, boy, I really screwed that up. 
and I seen so much of my old self in that, and I don't like that. So uh, to regroup, step back, just keep digging into the literature, know that you're not alone in that, and not to overreact, uh, which was one of my key mechanisms in the earliest of days is relapse brought just utter chaos to me because I, to me, it was just the end of the world and the sky is falling. And yes. uh, I had to say, okay, this has happened, but nobody's dying today and we're going to get through this or I'm going to get through it yeah. with my program. So it's a challenge and uh, we face it. Every- we do. So thank you for writing. And, um, you know, if you're listening and you want to share some of your experience, strength and hope about breathing through relapse, I'm going to put it that way, uh, or breathing through waiting for relapse, uh, please do. Please uh, please write or call and, uh, and share your experience, strength and hope. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Jeffrey, Grace, and Val did. Thank you again, Jeffrey, Grace, and Val, for your contributions. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecoveryshow.com, or listening to us, we are here for you. And the last song selection for this topic is titled The Forgiver. It's by Parker Ainsworth. And again, you can listen to it at therecoveryshow.com slash 174. And I just wanted to pick some lyrics out of out of here. Forgiveness courses through our hearts. Each moment marks another start. Believe we'll get a chance again when all has been forgiven in our hearts. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.